fellow writers, you have found Catherine's Corner of the Scriptorian Society, where we discuss specific books from the writer's perspective. Here with me, Carissa, a.k.a. Lewis, a.k.a. Catherine, we discuss the writer's side of reading to analyze some of the specifics that makes a book work or not work on a literary level. If you haven't read the book in the title of this episode and you plan to one day, skip this and come back once you have because there will be plenty of spoilers. That being said, whether you're a writer here for advice or a reader here for more content on a book you loved, welcome. Today we're going to be talking about The Shadows Between Us by Trisha Levenseller. I really needed this book. I've been in a tremendous reading slump lately, and this book finally knocked me out of it, so thank you, Trisha. That was, that was very kind of you. Thank you. Um, the Shadows Between Us is about a girl named Alessandra. Alessandra? Alessandra? Um, that's how I'm going to say it from now on. Um, she wants to be queen, and she's super ambitious and also a murderer. Um, she killed her first love when he rejected her, and now she just uses men to get whatever she wants. Next up on the character list, we have the Shadow King. He's obviously the king of, I think it's six nations so far, and he's like conquering other people and stuff, so there are peasant uprisings going on, but he's the king. And he has these shadows that surround him at all times. Everyone knows he has some kind of magical ability, but they don't know precisely what it does, and there's a law that no one under any circumstances is ever allowed to touch him. So basically, you can't be even within five feet of him to prevent that even potentially happening. Alessandra goes to one of his balls and sets about seducing him so he'll marry her and she can then kill him to reign the kingdom herself. So, you know, already great premise. Um, but of course, she actually falls in love with him along the way and has to prevent the unknown assassin who killed his parents from getting to him too. It is really good, so let's get into some of the things we can learn as writers. Let's first talk about marketing. Um, I, I am not a girl who's sold on blurbs, okay? I understand they probably help sell books. I get otherwise they wouldn't do it. I get that that's their purpose, but I don't think I've ever once bought or read a book because an author I liked blurbed it. Um, I just, that, that doesn't work for me. Part of the reason is because too often the blurbs are inaccurate. They're literally just selling it rather than telling readers something true. And I feel like that must be a bad marketing strategy long term, but apparently not because they keep doing it. Anyway, the blurbs used for this book are actually spectacular. They are so fitting. Two of the authors, uh, Carrie Maniscalco and Ken Dare Blake, are truly good comp authors. Not to bash Akatar as I usually do, but one of the blurb authors for that book is, I believe, Alexandra Bracken, and that doesn't fit to me. They don't write the same level of spice and stuff like that, so it's just strange that she was used as a comp author for the blurb, but Kendare Blake absolutely fits The Shadows Between Us. If you are a fan of hers or Maniscalco's, I am almost sure you would like this book, um, which makes it accurate marketing, and I appreciate that when I see it because sometimes I feel like that's not really the goal anymore. Sometimes I think publishers can get so set on getting people to buy the book that they forget the reader has to actually enjoy it too. There's this like idea that any press is good press, right? But I don't think that's necessarily true when it comes to art. If you're going to be marketing a book, 
You want to do it to the right people, because if they give you a bunch of negative reviews because they were not the correct target audience, I do think that probably negatively affects sales. I mean, again, I'm not a marketer by trade, but I I just don't think that attracting the wrong people initially is going to be a net gain. So I think it's important to get the marketing right. And these blurbs, therefore, did not sell me because I generally don't trust them. But in retrospect, they are super accurate and super useful. Um, one of the phrases I think used is that this is a Slytherin romance. Accurate. It totally is. I think uh, several of the authors say that it's addictive. It totally is. The, the blurbs do not lie in this case. You have to keep in mind that the purpose of these blurbs is... I think, not so much in the specific words that they are using to describe the book, but in the author um, that is stating the blurb being an assumed comp author, right? Um, If you're a querying author, you've heard the term comp titles before. Blurbs seem to kind of act as comp authors, right? So while it's great to get some truly high praise, right? Like addictive or Slytherin romance or something like that. I do think who is saying it is almost more important because... Every book has something that says gripping or engaging or compelling read on the cover, right? But the difference is who is saying that? Do you trust that author? Have they delivered in the past? And so you trust them to understand what this book is or isn't delivering. From my understanding of the publishing industry, this is not something that is super within the author's control. Um, You don't really pick your blurb authors, I don't think. Uh, Maybe self-published authors do, but I don't see a lot of self-published authors with blurbs on them. So... I think the good comparison here, the thing that we can learn from the blurbs on The Shadows Between Us, is that if you're a querying author or if you're trying for self-publishing and you're struggling with comp titles, this book is a good example of how to fit those comp titles or even potentially authors into an accurate marketing strategy, right? What I've heard generally about comp titles is that you don't want them to be similar in plot or character. You want them to be similar in vibe and atmosphere and even theme. Technically, if you take Kendra Blake and Carrie Maniscalco and Trisha Levenseller, their books don't have that many similarities between plot and characters. Um, but if you like one, you'll probably like the others because the general vibe and atmosphere is the same. Their style is the same. So um, that's my brief advice on comp titles. I think I've talked about this before, but I find it one of the most difficult parts of a querying package, and I'm sure there's an equivalent there for self-published authors. So if you're struggling to find a comp author or a comp title, look at The Shadows Between Us, read it, and then look at the authors that were used to market it because they fit so perfectly, but not in the sense of the twist was the same or the character had a similar personality, right? You can, it's, it's almost like this ethereal similarity. You almost can't put words to it. It's the quality, not the specifics that make it the same. And that's, I think, what you're going for in comp titles. My only other marketing issue, and I don't I don't know if that's quite the right way to put it, um, is that the back of the book does that thing where it gives an excerpt directly from the story. So Twilight did this, right? If you remember the back of the Twilight book. It had that whole classic excerpt that, uh, like, I was irrevocably in love with him. Irrevocably? I always say that word wrong. It was that line, and it became relatively famous because it was on the back of the book. It was also in the book, right? It wasn't just a marketing line. It was actually a line from the book. Anyway, you know what I mean. The hardcover back of this book, of The Shadows Between Us, includes the last few lines of, I believe, the first chapter. Do we like this, guys? I I don't love it because if I read the back of the book right before 
I start to actually read the book, I get to that section and skip over it. it it's lost its impact, right? In the actual story. It's, it's great for marketing. I picked it up probably because of that because I don't do blurbs. I usually do the back of the book um, summary or the inside flap summary or whatever. But once I get to that excerpt in the book, it has lost its power, um, at least for me. So if you're going to include direct excerpts and you're in control of that, I would advise maybe using a moment that doesn't carry as much weight, where if it does lose its impact a little bit, um, the story doesn't lose anything, right? You want to draw people in with that back cover. You want to give them a sense of conflict, but not necessarily dull the power of a significant moment within the story, which is what I think it tends to do. So food for thought there. I I don't generally like a lot of marketing trends, so I'm probably in the minority, but something to think about, especially if you're self-publishing and you are fully in control of that kind of stuff. Now on to the exciting part, the actual story itself. This book may, it may have one of the top 10 opening lines I've read in the past 10 years, and it certainly has the coolest way I've ever seen, read, to introduce a character's name. Um, the Shadows Between Us is written in first person, and if you've been writing for any length of time, you know it can be difficult to introduce the main character's name when, like, reasonably, they're only referring to themselves as I or me, right? It can be hard to contrive a reason to give the reader their name soon enough so that they can kind of be grounded in who that person is, right? But the opening page of this book is fantastic. Um, if, if you're struggling in for opening pages, this is a good study, but here's the opening line specifically. They've never found the body of the first and only boy who broke my heart. Uh, I mean, it's so good. It's kind of reminiscent of To Kill a Kingdom, if you've read that one. Um, but then it continues. It, it, it maintains being good. Um, it goes on to describe the murder of this boy, Hector, in this sort of flashback, and it provides our character's name by making it the last word he ever spoke. Like, she kills him, and he's just gasping for air, saying, Alessandra, you know, like, why would you do this to me, Alessandra? That's, that's how we get her name. That is a clever way to give us her name, while also, and more primarily, giving us backstory. Girl is cutthroat, and she killed him with no remorse. We know so much about her motives and personality because of that scene that her name barely seems important, but it's still delivered to us and we still have it there to anchor us in her identity. So if you're looking for a creative way to introduce the name of your first person narrator, maybe try a flashback like this or a situation in which someone would very reasonably be saying the character's name in an atypical way or with an atypical emotion, instead of just a mere greeting or something, have them say it in desperation or hatred or pain or something like that. It keeps the tension of an opening scene, but it also reveals their name. So, queen of two birds with one stone here, and I super admire it. And Alessandra herself is queen of seduction and manipulation. Um, I will not lie, I don't like her as a person. I don't like women who use men any more than I like men who use women because standards, <laughs> surprise, surprise, are gender neutral, <laughs> uh, if you ask me, at least. So at the beginning, I was just along for a fun ride. She revealed literally in those opening pages, I'm a murderer, This is these are my ambitions, this is my goal, I'm not a good person. So I was along for the ride, you know? I kind of wanted her to get caught, I kind of wanted her to get humiliated a couple times, but somewhere around the halfway point, I started to root for her. 
Um, and then with the Shadow King, who's a love interest, I love him at the beginning. He's so distant and cool. Like, not, not as in, like, a cool guy, but he's, like, collected, calm, right? And Alessandra is trying to seduce him. And my favorite moment is when he invites her to stay at the palace, and then he has her over for, like, a private breakfast, and just blatantly tells her that his council desperately wants him to get married so he can produce an heir because he's lost in his family, but he doesn't want to do that. So he wants her to pretend with him that he is courting her uh, to get them off his back. So he he seems to be falling for her game and then he doesn't. And I, I like that a lot. I think it's great. She thinks she has him and he's all, I actually would like to fake a relationship, please, uh, which I thought was very humbling for her and necessary. And it really... Uh, humanized her character. I didn't love him after that because he's really not like a good king or a good person at least. Maybe a good king, that's debatable, but he just rubs me the wrong way throughout the middle. But then I come back around to loving him as we learn more about them, right? The two of them together are so compelling. A lot of romantic books these days can feel a little dry and predictable, but Alessandra and the Shadow King, they had a truly unique dynamic, and it made me root for them, even though, as a person, I would totally also want to assassinate and overthrow him. Um, and all this is just evidence that, as a writer, you don't have to make your characters strictly likable. They just need to be entertaining. I've read a lot of books like this more recently, now that I'm kind of delving into the NA realm, um, and likability is fantastic, you can go with that, but it's not necessary. I can get behind watching people do terrible things if they are consistently bad people who are aware that they are not saints, right? That can be entertaining. Hypocrisy is annoying. You don't want someone preaching at you and then doing evil things, but like being ambitious and, you know, murdering boys for breaking your heart, like it, it's not not entertaining. Okay. I'm just saying I can grow to like it. Um, and, and then their relationship dynamic, right? There's true push and pull between them, but there's a shared morality, even if that morality is not moral. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? So they're actually a good match for the other. They're equals. And that's really something that I think is missing from a lot of romantic subplots. This book is generally feminist, right? But a lot of times that'll take the form of the female character dominating over the love interest in some way. And that just doesn't work because then they're not equals, Right? So you want to have a good match for her, if that's what you're going to go with. And Alessandra and the Shadow King were perfect matches for each other. The best example of this, another one of my favorite scenes, is um, when that murder of Hector kind of comes back to haunt her. She's caught. The constable is there. And Callias, oh, which is the Shadow King's name, sends the constable away so that he can laugh at her. <laughs> he laughs at her. And he's amused that she killed this guy right? She doesn't even have to lie about it. He's just so infatuated with her because she's a murderer. Is this true love, guys? Um, also, on a scale of 1 to 10, how concerning is it that I love books in which the girl murders someone and the guy's reaction is to be impressed rather than horrified? I, it's, is this not the hottest reaction possible? Um, and I don't even like villain love interests or enemies to lovers as much as the average person, but I love this. So if you're looking to spice up your love story, add a murder or two and an atypical reaction. It does, in all seriousness, make the two characters look like they belong together because they can be honest with each other and work together. So again, it is not moral, but story-wise, it's pretty awesome. Now, speaking of enemies to lovers, I would not qualify this book as such, but it does have a trope I've been noticing more and more lately that I want to talk about. 
I'm not going to claim it started with the Vampire Diaries, but I've seen it becoming a trend since I watched that show. So, you know, maybe it started there. I don't know. It's what I'm going to call the secret brother trope. Okay, so Leandros is one of the characters in this book. He is Alessandra's male friend at court who is super into her, despite himself. Um, He turns out to be Callias' brother, come back to take the throne for himself. Um, He played a great game, I will admit, and I liked the twist. But also, I have a new... I have a new standard. At this point, if I read a book from now on with a love triangle, I'm just assuming a secret brother. You know what I mean? That's just going to be my guess from now on. Um, I'm not saying I hate it, and it was definitely foreshadowed well in the ways Alessandra noticed the two looked like each other from afar, but I'm mostly indifferent to it. It's not my favorite. I think there must be some available twists on this trope, right? So like secret cousin or secret sister or secret legitimate brother when the current heir is an unknowingly illegitimate heir. Um, see if you can mix it up in your own book, because I think the secret brother idea is becoming a bit predictable, if not an outright cliche, but it's, it's, it's a good twist, right? The idea that someone's identity is not what you think it is. So there are ways to mix it up. And I liked it in this book. I just, I kind of wish it had been secret cousin. Now, speaking of foreshadowing, in terms of style, I loved how this book ended its chapters. You'll hear writers often give the advice that you should end chapters of your book on cliffhangers so that readers want to pursue the next chapter, but the tactic was a little different here, and I think maybe more engaging craft-wise. Most of the chapter endings were single sentences, something I personally really like, and were somewhat foreboding or foreshadowing in nature. So here are some examples. Now I need him to give me his heart. End of the chapter right? Tells us where we're going. It's ominous, but it makes us want to keep reading. Or, but I'm far from giving up just yet. Or, I can't call on my shadows. It's not every chapter for sure. Um, And those, I don't know if they meant anything outside of their context, right? But they're just those single lines. They don't have to be a full sentence, but they have to be separated from any other paragraphs, right? They have to be on their own at the end of the chapter. And I... (laughs) Enough of the chapters were like this that I constantly wanted to read more. I think that might be the core of the addictive quality uh, to this writing that uh, the blurbs were talking about. Way to make me want to read more even though the scene is over. It allows readers stopping places if they need them, but it doesn't make them want to stop. And you can do it in dialogue or in a series of one-line paragraphs or any other way. And I'm not saying you can't also provide a cliffhanger now and then, but that single sentence phrase is a really useful thing to have in your writing repertoire. All right, last point for this book. Let's land on the typical discussion about whether this was YA or NA. It's kind of a Russian roulette these days. Um, I have landed for this book solidly on YA, though. This is how I thought to describe The Shadows Between Us. It is a book about sex, but without any sex in it. What I mean is that there are conversations and innuendos and themes surrounding it. They're humorous, they're serious, everything in between, but there are no sex scenes. It, it was not a sexy book, and I loved it. I mean, thank you. You know what I mean? I was never uncomfortable. It was always pulling back at the right time. Fade to black and implication all the way, and the story was so, gosh, it was so much stronger for it. If you're the type of writer who thinks you need to put a sex scene into a romantic element for it to be compelling, this book is proof that you're wrong. (laughs) This book is so strong because it doesn't 
focus on sex to carry its scenes. It focuses on its scenes to carry any messages it has about sex, right? So it's dealing with some more NA-esque topics, but in a YA way. If you're an older teen or a more mature teen, I would argue this book is perfectly appropriate for you, despite some of the content. Um, I'm not going to say I agree with everything this book is saying about sex, but it's certainly food for thought in a way that doesn't force, doesn't tempt, it doesn't spring on you, it doesn't condemn, right? And I appreciated that. Arguably, that's what YA books should do, and it's not something we see very often these days where you have an important topic but discussed without a totally graphic portrayal, right? So I classify this book as YA in my head. If you're on the lookout for NA reads, it would also probably work, but I think in the style it is more YA. And I liked straddling that middle ground here where dealing with, you know, I mean, there are a lot of serious topics in the world that we could argue about, but um, dealing with a serious topic, but for an audience that is actually teenage, right? Instead of trying to go too old. So given the authors and the blurbs, it seems to have been marketed YA. And so I feel like that's correct. I feel like that's a fair fit. Um, and speaking of blurbs, that brings us full circle. Are you proud of my transitions? I feel like I nailed transitions for this episode, but maybe not. Maybe it was super awkward for you guys. Anyway, that's all I have to say about The Shadows Between Us. Um, really enjoyed it. Broke me out of my reading slump. And by the way, if you listened through the spoilers and still want to read it, it's only about 320 pages long. So it's a quick read too. Um, also, that's probably why it's so addictive. It is so fast paced. No fat in this book whatsoever, I tell you. So if you're a writer looking to hone your pacing skills or your chapter endings or the balance of topic to graphicness ratios, right? Um, this is something you should definitely study. Um, and it was also really enjoyable. So that being said, that's all I have for this episode. Thank you for listening and I'll see you on the next page. 